What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and today's podcast is about minimalism with Cashley Kutcherin. This podcast focuses a lot on business, lifestyle, wellness, and travel. Lately, it's been a lot about business because I'm trying to launch my own business, which I will talk about in a second, but this podcast is specifically around the minimalism lifestyle. Cashly actually used to be such a consumer like all of us, buying the latest gadgets and trends and purses and shoes and keeping up with the Joneses constantly. She discusses this. And we both actually watched a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism, which completely opened our eyes to what this lifestyle could be like. So Cashly immediately took action, sold her stuff, moved out of her house, talked to her husband about this. He was on board and they now are living a very minimalist lifestyle. She'll get into what that actually means if you've never heard of it or seen the documentary. Basically, it's just like the Marie Kondo phenomenon, decluttering, making sure that things bring you joy, but minimalism is constantly in practice. So it's not like you go to the store and you're like, yay, a new pair of shoes is out, I'm gonna go buy them, or it's the newest gadget, or this is the top trend of spring, like you don't really follow those trends. So Ashley discusses what it's like now, because obviously when you make a transition like that, things are going to be affected outside of just the space you live in. Maybe it affects your relationship with your partner, or maybe your friends are not on board and they say things differently, or maybe you're constantly like, okay, this is fine, but I want to go back to quote unquote the way things were. So we get really into it in this podcast. I get really specific down to asking like how many plates she thinks she owns because I wanted to get so detailed in what this lifestyle involves because I think we could all learn a thing or two. I moved, and I discussed this in the podcast, um, from Chicago to Florida and then Florida to Australia. And I thought I did a great job downsizing. And now that I'm here and I'm moving again, as you guys know from listening to my latest podcast, I have so much stuff that I still haven't worn. And I'm like, oh, I'll wear that choker or that one necklace or that pair of heels. And I'm 5'9". I don't wear heels. I don't wear necklaces because I get irritated. I barely wear any jewelry. I like a few rings and bracelets and hoops. Like, hoops are my go-to. So why am I buying, like, statement earrings and chokers and wrap necklaces? All these different things that I don't wear. It's just unnecessary. And I know that about myself now. So I actually need to take action to make sure that I am decluttering because this stuff is just sitting here and every time I move, I have to pack it. And it's like, I could just deal with 20 less things if I just sold these things or donated them and they could become really special to someone else. So you might not think someone wants something, trust me, someone will buy it. I discussed this in the pod with Cashly, but people were buying like shower caddies from me, trinkets, weird little gadgets that I haven't used in five years, like old laptop cases. People will buy stuff. They just don't want to, you know, go seeking it on their own. You have to post it yourself and then they will come to you. So we discuss how to get rid of stuff. Again, relationships, how can you activate a minimalist lifestyle? We really cover a ton of ground. So make sure you're following Cashly on Instagram and her blog because she gives a ton of resources on how to do this, giving you step-by-step how to actually decide what to get rid of. And then, you know, moving forward, how can you live a lifestyle around minimalism? So I encourage you to go do that. Make sure you follow me at Chelsea Rife, R-I-F-F-E. 
You can write into the podcast, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com, and you can visit my brand new website, inmynonexpertopinion.com. The podcast is up there. You can see a little bit more about the podcast, why I started it. It's just a, a homepage now for the podcast, so make sure to give that a visit. And of course, DM me with any ideas, feedback, questions, and share this on your Instagram story or with a friend, tag a friend, share it, rate, review, subscribe, all the things, basically just helping me get the word out because I'm telling you, guests like Cashly are so amazing and valuable and to be able to book more people like her, I just need to have more visibility. So again, an Instagram story goes a long way, sharing on Facebook, Twitter, whatever you decide, just helping me out, this is free content, so I appreciate it. Okay, so getting into Australia updates. For any new listeners, I moved to Australia in August, and so I've been doing little updates every week on adjusting to this lifestyle. It's about month four here now, and I can tell you time flies. I thought it was going to go really slow because just of adjusting and getting used to everything, I thought it was going to take me a really long time to feel like I was you know, settled in. And even though I'm not technically quote unquote settled in because I'm moving again, I definitely feel more comfortable in Bondi Beach. Like once you get settled, everything becomes a bubble. So I was telling my mom, it reminds me of my college town where, yes, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people here, but you start to see the same people because you go to the same five bars, you go to the same three cafes, everyone shops at the same two grocery stores, everyone's going to the same spot on the beach. So on any given day, I can walk outside and turn a corner and I will run into someone. And I'm not kidding. Yesterday, I was just working at a cafe and I was talking to my mom for a second and I ran into a girl that took my yoga class. Then I was sitting in another part, ran into two of my old flatmates. And then anywhere I turn, I'm bound to spot someone. So it definitely is a bubble. I know they call it the Bondi bubble, but I'm experiencing that full force. I can tell you too, around the bar scene, you go to the same bars and so you definitely start to see the same people, the same guys, the same girls. So obviously that can be a good thing and a bad thing because you start to get familiar where you're like, ah, yes, this is nice. I know everyone here. This is cool. I don't feel awkward. Or when I first moved here, I definitely felt awkward going out by myself or, you know, asking someone to go out where I didn't really know the scene. Now I'm like, okay, I know people go to this bar. I know those guys are going to be here. I know these girls are going to be here. It's literally like college or anywhere that you just grow up in a town or city. You know, there's thousands of people, but everyone's just going to the same spots. What's interesting about nightlife here is that everyone goes to hotels. So there's not really like in Bondi, a ton of bars. It's like hotels. There's Beach Road Hotel, there's Hotel Ravisis, there's Hotel Bondi, there's all these different hotels. Um, even in Coogee, which is a, a town away, you go to hotels. There's Coogee Pavilion, there's Coogee Bay Hotel. I'm going out this weekend to Watson's Bay Hotel. Like, I don't know why everything is a hotel, but that's where we go out. And I thought it was just like, you know, maybe the people in Bondi, but like I said, it's kind of everywhere. You go to hotels, even in the CBD where we went to a hotel recently, we went to a hotel rooftop. So that's something interesting that I found we did not do a lot of, especially in Florida. You don't really go to hotels to parties. In Orlando, it's all tourists. So you don't go to hotels there. I'm trying to think of in Chicago, you know, now that I think about it, a lot of those were hotels, the rooftops. So maybe I did do more hotels than I thought. But yeah, hotels are a big thing here to go out. It's definitely a bubble. It's definitely like LA where once you're in your you know little city or town, you don't want to leave. So if I even go to Kuji, which I just said is not that far away, it still takes about 30 to 45 minutes on a bus. So it's like, ugh, I could go 45 minutes round trip, you know, an hour and a half, 
or I could just stay in my little bubble and cross the street. So it is kind of a push to get me out of Bondi specifically. I, I feel like a lot of people feel the same, but lately I'm just getting so stuck here that I do feel like I want to get out more. So I am like pushing myself to try and just take the bus, get downtown or go to another beach or just even walk to another beach just so I can get out of Bondi because it's super fun. It's it's amazing to live here, but I do want to see new surroundings. I want to see new cafes. I want to meet new people. So it's about to be summer. I think it's actually officially summer, December 1st. So my goal is to definitely just start seeing new parts of Sydney because I don't want to be here all year and be like, wow, you left Bondi five times because there's so much to explore here. I'm actually going on a trip to Melbourne next week. I will be there for Thanksgiving. I'll be there for five days. And I knew a few Americans over there. I'm going with my two guy friends. They're British and Australian. And I met them last year on a vacation. And we're going to just have so much fun. I'm going to show them American Thanksgiving. My American friends are going to show me around. If you've ever been to Melbourne, please let me know. I want to know all the recommendations. I know it's a huge bar and foodie scene. It's really hipster and artsy. And I'm so excited for that. Because lately in Bondi, I've just been at the beach and happy hours every day. And so I'm looking forward to experiencing some new food and culture in Melbourne because I know there's a lot of history there. So I cannot wait for that. I'm trying to think if I have any other trips. Hmm. My friend is trying to plan a trip to Bali for his birthday. So that might be on the cards in the new year. I'm trying to figure out New Year's Eve because... Like everywhere, you think New Year's Eve is going to be this big hyped up event. Everyone's going to dress in their best. You're going to have this blowout party. And then you end up like at a pregame doing nothing. Uh, that's what's happened to me a few times in Florida and Chicago. There were a few that were okay. There were a few that were weird. New Year's Eve is just always hit or miss. And here I thought it was going to be this huge deal because I've heard Sydney is one of the best places to spend it. And now that I'm here, people are like, Oh, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, we're still looking. Mm, not sure. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were going to have this like huge plan. I thought there was going to be this, you know, one or two spots that everyone goes to that we have to go to. And that's like not the case. So I am trying to figure out New Year's Eve here because I really want to see Sydney New Year's Eve. So if you guys again have been here or know of the best place to celebrate, please let me know. I'm trying to think of other updates. Uh, I guess personal life, I can tell you. I have been completely out of control. I feel like I reverted to a 23 or 24 year old because I've told you in past podcasts, my little group in Bondi is like 24 year old guys from Britain. And so I'm constantly going out with them. Two of them are my neighbors. They live two doors down. So we'll just end up at the beach. And then before you know it, we're at happy hour. And then we're doing a full on day drinking event or, you know, we go out for lunch and we'll have a pint or two. And all of a sudden it's a 12 hour drinking event. It's literally like when I was 24, we used to do this in Chicago. They were called Psycho Saturdays, where we would start with bottomless brunch, drink all day, go out all Saturday night until like three or four in the morning, start again on Sunday, do a Sunday fun day, and then buckle up for work on Monday. And here, especially because everyone has hospitality jobs, the whole like waking up early or it's a weekday thing doesn't apply. Like no one cares. Actually, a lot of the guys I go out with have to work at 5.30 in the morning and they'll still go out. They're like, oh, whatever, I'll just power through it. And that's the joy of being 24. Your youth will carry you through the week. For me, I'm almost 29. So sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, Chelsea, this is not working for you. You cannot drink five days a week and not sleep and eat like shit and pretend that it's going to be okay. I have been off the rails. Like I said, it's just been like a lot. And I've had to take a step back and be like, okay... 
I have an eye twitch. My room's a mess. I haven't done anything I wanted to do for my businesses. Let me regroup. So I had that little like epiphany a few days ago where I was like, you know, you just have not cooked at home for probably 12 days because you've been eating out and going out every day where my body and my mind was just feeling the effects of that. And so I decided, okay, today, zero drinking, no happy hour, pretend you didn't even see an invite if you see it, go get groceries and just try to have a normal day. And I went back to the yoga studio. I haven't been in, I'm not kidding, like two weeks. And so I went to yoga and instantly I was like, yep, this is what I needed. And not just to say like, oh yeah, yoga is what I needed and now I feel whole and complete. It genuinely was just nice to stretch out and have some physical movement because I've not been doing anything. Like, yes, I walk everywhere and I'm, I'm very active at my job, but in terms of like personal exercise, I was not doing anything. So hitting the yoga mat was exactly truly what I needed, just stretching and oh, just relaxing and getting sweaty. So I've been doing yoga the past few days. I finally got some groceries, but not too many because I'm moving. And so, yeah, I'm trying to take a step back and be like, relax with the drinking, especially because it's not cheap here. Basically, my money is going to rent and drinks, which is what it was when I was 24. I was blowing my money on rent and drinks. So definitely something that I'm trying to work on because I am trying to launch my own business, which I alluded to earlier. I am in the process of launching my private and corporate yoga teaching business, which will be called Yoga Girl Next Door. You've probably seen it on my Instagram handle, or maybe you even follow it, but it is no easy task. I can tell you right now, I thought I could do a lot of this by myself. I have a master's degree in digital media and storytelling. So when it came to branding and websites and all that, I was like, that's easy. I can figure that out. I know how to do sales. I was in ad sales for six years. That will be easy. Like, no, 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 no. I started to make a website and I was like, nope, that's done. Five minutes in, I was like, this is too much for me to take on on my own and pretend that it's going to be okay just because I made it. I think it's really important when you're starting your own business to get outside perspectives because yes, we think we're the best at what we're doing. That's why we're starting a business or at least confident in what we're doing. But you need outsider perspective to be like, "Mm, do you really want that font? Do you really want those colors? Why would you use that marketing strategy? Why are you not using this one? So right now I'm actually working with three people. I hired a graphic designer that I found on Facebook. I have a business coach that I'm doing a few calls with bi-weekly just to get the basics. Like private yoga is such a different world that I don't really even know how to start. So I hired a business coach to just help me out with like setting the foundation. What type of emails do I need to be sending? What type of content do I need to be producing? What type of target am I going after? So I enlisted her help and then I'm joining a six, I think it's six or eight week program with someone named Emily Sussel, who will be on the podcast soon, where she actually is a business coach for private yoga teachers as well. So it's a little community of teachers that you know are just over burning out at studio classes or they wanna just build a private practice. I wanted to make sure I had a community that I could you know, learn from, just vent to, ask questions, gain insight, ask advice. I think it's really, really important, like I said, to find external resources outside of yourself or just friends because, I mean, the hard reality is friends are going to tell you what you want to hear. Maybe they'll provide a light criticism like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I like that name, but maybe change it to this. I needed someone that was genuinely just going to be like, nope, doesn't make sense. Change this. Do this. That doesn't make sense. Add this to that. 
I need that type of push and I need accountability. I am very accountability focused. I've realized in my older years when it comes to working out, I need accountability. When it comes to anything discipline related, I need accountability. So having these resources like a coach or mentor or anything keeps me accountable because with my lifestyle that I just told you about of hitting the beach and happy hour and going out, I need someone to say, you know, you just spent this money on me as a coach. If you come to a call and you haven't done any of your homework or done anything, what's the point of of using your money? And these calls and these coaches aren't cheap, but I know as an entrepreneur or someone that's starting a business, you have to invest. So that's the way I'm looking at it. It's an investment. I know it'll eventually pay off, but that's the accountability part for me. I know if I'm just trying to do it by myself and be self-disciplined and and get it done, that's just not how my mind works. And I've accepted that, you know, hopefully that changes at some point where I have a very strict schedule. I say no, I set boundaries, but being so in flux here with moving and trying to balance, like having fun, it's the working holiday visa. Like I said, that means working vacation. I want to make sure I'm having fun here. I don't want to come here and look back and say, wow, you were just, you know, working all the time. But at the same time, that's why I came here as well. I didn't want a nine to five. I wanted to create my own life for myself. So it's a fine line and a balancing act to have fun and create discipline for yourself, especially living in Bondi and especially when it's summer. So I'm really, really trying to hone, you know, the self-discipline aspect of my life in and use the resources that I have outsourced or hired to help me out. So that's where I'm at. I'm really, really focusing on the private yoga teaching. I'm working on something exciting with a friend. We want to launch a New Year's package where she's a nutritionist and I'll offer yoga sessions. And it's so exciting because I feel like I'm a little businesswoman now. (laughs) We have business meetings. We're deciding rates, terms and conditions, timing, marketing strategy. Like this is now what I really like doing. And on my free time, when I don't work at my gelato spot, I'm trying to do this. So yeah, that's an update in personal life. I've updated you guys that I'm moving. It's just up the road, but it's going to be a bitch to move. It's just so annoying. I don't have that much stuff, but God, just thinking about like taking all these bracelets off the wall and taking the purse off and folding it like, oh, I don't want to do it at all. But I have to do it because I wanted to move. So I need to stop complaining and just buckle up and get it done. So, yeah, that's my life right now. I'm moving. I'm trying to find the balance between going out and starting my own business and in general, just traveling around Australia and getting out of Bondi because it's such a beautiful place. Highly recommend you guys come here if you've never been and come visit me. You have a reason now. So with that, I think it's perfect timing to dive into this podcast where we discuss minimalism, what a word, and decluttering because that's exactly what I need to do right now. And we'll get into it. Wow, what a perfect time to have this guest on. As you guys know from my recent intros and updates, I am moving again And I accumulated more stuff when I moved this time because I thought I was settling down here and now I have to pick up and leave again. And I don't know a better person to be on than right now, Cashley Kutcherin from um, basically coming from a point of minimalism. You are a nomadic person yourself and I'm so glad to have you on because like I said, this couldn't be better timing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. And tell us where you are right now so the listeners can get a feel of how nomadic your lifestyle is. Okay, right now I am talking to you from Mazatlan, Mexico. It's a city in Mexico that is a little bit lesser known. It's, you know, most people think Cancun or Puerto Vallarta or Cabo. This is on the Pacific coast and it is, you know what? I'm going to go and just say it. It's probably my favorite city in the entire world. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a pretty big claim. 
Yeah. What, what brought you there? You know, okay, so my husband and I have been traveling the world for the last five years nonstop, and we've been everywhere. We've been in the Middle East and Asia and Europe and, and South America, and I mean, we've been everywhere. And we were looking for a place that, number one, was a little bit closer to home, which is Canada. And number two, we were looking for a place that kind of checked all the boxes. We wanted off the beaten path, but not too off the beaten path. And we wanted infrastructure, but we didn't want like a huge big, busy city that's really expensive and hard to live in. And we wanted culture. We didn't want it to be too Americanized in air quotes. And so literally, like it's like we put all these checkbox things into our minds and like wrote them all down. And the only city we could find that really seriously checked them all was Mazatlan. And we had never been here before. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, we're just going. So we have been here for six months. And it looks like we might make this like a home and then just travel from here. Oh, wow. So it really caught your attention. And what's interesting though, is that yeah, you didn't know about it before. Like you said, you hadn't been there before. No, like I'd heard of it. You know, you've, I've heard of lesser known places like Manzanillo or like Ixtapa and Mazatlan. And I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, I don't know how good it's going to be if it's lesser known. And wow, was I mistaken? This place is a serious gem. I, like I said, I don't know if there's anywhere I like better than Mazatlan. Oh my gosh. Well, that move worked out well for you. Uh, it seems like you guys are making that a home and, living a minimalist lifestyle, I'm assuming, because that is what attracted me to talk to you is that you live a very minimalistic lifestyle. Yes, we're still keeping up with minimalism because we're not going to settle down here and never travel again. We're still going to travel all the time. And kind of the way we do it is we all the things that we own basically fit into a suitcase. We can get up at any time. If tomorrow we had to go somewhere, all of a sudden it's like so easy to pack a bag because I just throw all of my belongings into that one bag. That's all I own. And when we're home in Canada, we live in an RV. And let me tell you, there's no storage in an RV. So there's no way to accumulate junk or stuff, even if you wanted to. It's extremely minimalist and I love every minute of it. What inspired you to live a minimalist lifestyle? You know, okay. So if we rewind the clock a few years ago, I was a real estate agent and here I was, I was like selling people on the idea to buy a home, which now I think is total crap. I don't think home ownership is for everybody, especially in places like Canada or expensive cities in Australia or, or the United States where Real estate is so expensive that it will literally cripple people that try to enter the market. It's not a savior. It will hurt them and anchor them and, and like literally just tie them down so badly and stress them out with these massive payments. Right. And so that's what I was doing for a living. And I was kind of uh, walking the walk and talking the talk myself. I was like, oh, I'm going to build a big house. And when you build a big house, guess what you have to do? You have to fill it full with stuff and you have to spend so much money buying all this stuff. And I was kind of the opposite of a minimalist. And I always had this mindset that if I, or when I have this, I will feel this. So like when I have the most amazing bed and couch and art on the walls and champagne glasses that are crystal, blah, 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 I will feel good. I will feel happy. That will make me a better person. And you know what? It wasn't true. <laughs> As I accumulated more and more stuff and more outfits, more furniture and more things, I thought it was going to make me happy, but it made me feel like shit. And 
it made me totally down and depressed and made me feel awful. And so I kind of took a hard look at my lifestyle and was like, okay, I, I mean, the accumulation of things is obviously not the yellow brick road to happiness. So what is? And through a lot of of discovery, self-discovery, and through a journey, I discovered that experiences are the key to happiness and being with people you love. And it's not the material things that you possess and that you own. Um, and so that realization made me pretty much get rid of everything. And I haven't looked back since. For anyone listening that doesn't know what minimalism is, can you define it in your own terms? Yes. So a lot of people think minimalism and they think, oh, empty or cold or lack thereof. And they think it's this kind of thing where maybe you only own one shirt and like one mug and you kind of sit in your empty little um, tiny house and that's it. But it's not. I think minimalism is just owning the things that are essential. And like some people have said, some professionals in the industry, like Marie Kondo has said, the things that bring you joy. And I'm sure that anyone right now listening to this could go inside their closet and they could pick out probably mm, 70% of what's in there they have not worn in years. It doesn't give them joy. They forgot it was there. They don't care about it. But for some reason, they still hold on to it. And it's I just got rid of that 70%. So I just really have the things in my life that I'm going to use on a daily basis that I really actually love and that you know, I'm just not, I'm not carrying all this weight on my back around the world with me. I'm not like carrying just stuff. It doesn't, you know, squeeze my life out of my own life. When you first decided to make that decision to say, you know, I'm just done with all this stuff. Like you're saying, it's just truly stuff. How extreme did you go with it? Were you like, you know, just ripping everything out of your closet, donating it? Or were you the opposite where you're like, okay, I'm actually really sentimental about things. Like, tell us about that process. Yeah. I think it's kind of the same way that people like brush their hair when it's wet. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but just bear with me. So when you go to the shower and your hair is like all tangly, a lot of people will like finger comb it, right? It's like a big, it's like a wide tooth comb. You finger comb your hair to get the knots out. And then later, if you have to do more, you'll brush it. And if you really need to fine style it, you'll take like a really fine tooth comb to it after. And I kind of did the same thing. So I first went through things with a very wide tooth comb, let's say, where I identified the things that I know for sure, for sure, for sure, that I didn't need or use or like. And then those things, I either donated them, gave them to a friend, or I sold them. I sold them on Facebook buy-sell groups or wherever I could sell them, like consignment stores, whatever. And then I went back and did it again. But this time I did it with a finer tooth comb, if you will. I went through and I was like, okay, let's be honest with yourself, Cashley. This shirt, when's the last time you wore it? Oh, it was 2013. Okay. Well, obviously you don't need this anymore. And I would keep these things. And I think everyone does, you know, just in case, but just in case doesn't ever happen. And if it did, I'm sure you have a friend who could lend you something or Maybe you have 10 bucks and you could go to a thrift store and pick up something like it. You know, like I just learned that it's not the end of the world if I didn't have this whole plethora of just in cases hanging around in my closet. The just in case phenomenon is very, it's so prevalent in my life too. Even moving to Australia, I was literally going to bring like 20 books. By the way, I'm not a big reader. I'm a big audiobook listener. And I have all these hard copy books that are obviously, they weigh a ton. And I was like, well, just in case I go on a trip and I want to read this book or just in case. And even like 
dresses from bridesmaids from being a bridesmaid in weddings like just in case you know i go to a ball in australia and it's like what are you talking about you're not gonna go to a ball in australia <laughs> like get over that whole the just in case thing so i totally relate to that and i understand that people listening are like well you know there are moments where it is just in case and to your point no there's not yeah <laughs> really there ever is and if for any reason i did get invited to a ball in australia then i'll figure it out and do like rent the runway or something i don't need to go buy a new ball gown which is again i don't know yeah you know and, who's going to ball here and you probably like you probably would like but just say you brought all those bridesmaids dresses and you did get invited to this ball or this gala and it's all fantastic you're probably not gonna even feel compelled to wear the ones that you have that you brought you probably are wanting something new and there's nothing wrong with that but the thing i always also look at it for those just in case things there are other people in the world that could use that item that don't just need it for a just in case they need it for their actual life like say you have some old work clothes and you're like oh well just in case i ever go back to that job or just in case i ever you know need to have a meeting where i might wear this no there are people out there who maybe have been in a really bad situation who are job hunting maybe they're trying to get out of poverty they have literally nothing to wear to a job interview like those people could use those items that you're selfish like selfishly hoarding inside of your closet i know that sounds intense i'm not a mean person i just think that sometimes we think of things really selfishly like we're like no but what if i need it well you're not using it so what if someone else actually really needs it you know right i th i love that because recently actually my brother was talking about how he wants to start donating a piece of his income to something but he's like i really don't know what to do and i was like you don't even have to look at your income like look at your clothing look at your shoes we have all these clothes from years ago to your point of like that one shirt or that one suit we we wore to our interview five years ago and i'm like why don't you donate to people that are getting back into the workforce that need work clothing that's a good cause. And he was like, I didn't even think of that. So I love that idea. What about the easiest part of transitioning to this lifestyle? Was, did you find it easy? Yes, I did. And I'll tell you why. Because we are human beings and we are motivated by pleasure or money. Yeah. <laughs> and when I was selling things, I mean, it does give you a pleasurable experience because it's nice. Like who doesn't love to come home to like a freshly cleaned house or at the end of spring cleaning, you're like, oh, I feel so good. So there was sort of that pleasure part to it. But the other part was money. So I literally sold like, check this out. $10,000 worth of my old shit on Facebook buy sells and things like eBay or Kijiji or whatever, just like sites online where you can sell stuff. And having $10,000 in extra cash, I was like, oh my God. I didn't realize, like I sold old phones, you know, like when you get a new phone and maybe yours isn't broken and you put it in a drawer. Yes. <laughs> so I sold you know, old phones. I had a couple old laptops. I had an old camera. Um, I had some old like recording equipment from when I used to do voiceovers. I had tons of clothes, tons of shoes, tons of handbags from my old realtor days when I was balling and thought I was cool. <laughs> and I sold all of those and I made 10,000 bucks. I'm like, whoa, there was 10 G's sitting in my closet being ignored. And now all that stuff's gone. I feel great. And I have money in the bank. I mean, that's great. Um, I'm laughing right now because Facebook Marketplace was like my source of income two years ago when I moved to Chicago. I was listing shower caddies, massage balls, like shower caps, and people were buying them. And I was then I just started looking at everything. And I was like, to your point, I have not touched this in two years. 
And people, my friends were seeing it in my feed. Like, are you really selling a, you know, mini trash can? And I'm like, people are buying it and I don't need it. So <laughs> I can relate to that getting money in your pocket from Facebook marketplace, like great resource. Yeah. And people shouldn't be, people shouldn't be scared to put anything on there. Cause like you just said, people will buy anything. I put like so much stuff that I thought had no value, but other people saw the value in it. And I mean, that's what we should be doing anyway. So we can stop creating a whole bunch of new products because fast fashion is not good for the environment. Can you actually talk about fast fashion? Because this was a concept that I ran into when I was watching um, a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism. And I didn't really like, it didn't register with me that I was part of the problem. Can you discuss what that is? Yes. Okay. So this is something that, okay, first off, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not innocent. I, I love clothes. I'm a girl. I've been brought up with the same media as most of the girls listening to this podcast. So like, I'm not innocent in this, but I want to talk about it because I think it's really important. The fashion industry has 16 seasons. Okay. Not four seasons. Like the real world, 16 seasons. That means 16 times a year, they're changing their outfits and they're changing their mannequins and they're changing what they're offering you so that you'll hopefully buy from them 16 times. They give you 16 reasons to buy a year. Like that is insane. <laughs> First off. Okay. Yeah. And then these clothes are being made with the cheapest cottons possible that are absolutely just doused in chemicals that are not good for our bodies. They're being made in third world countries. Um, a lot of labels have been called out for child labor and otherwise the labor still isn't in any good circumstances. They're paying, um, in, I mean, like the wages are so low, it would make your eyes boggle the, the way that they want people to work. They want people to work 16 to 20 hour days in these basically like slave labor factories, uh, just so we can have like a new top that's really trendy that we're actually going to hate um, two weeks later, or that's going to fall apart. The threads are going to come right out of it and we're going to throw it in the garbage because we can't even donate it. And that's what's kind of happened lately. People get so caught up in what an Instagram person's wearing or what they see someone on TV wearing. And it's become this like, be better than the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, but in a really dangerous way. You think getting a $10 shirt from some big brand is such a great deal, but it's not because there's a price to pay for that. The people that made that, like they're paying a huge price. The environment's paying a huge price. It takes so much water uh, to to produce kinds like of these clothing and it causes so many pollutants. Like it's just not worth it. I think my my whole philosophy on this is, especially as a minimalist, is like, for your clothes, you should be buying stuff that you really like, that's really timeless. It's going to last you a long time. It doesn't mean it has to be Burberry. Okay. It can just be something that's quality. It doesn't mean that you have to spend a million dollars. You can still find a quality shirt at $20. It's just not going to be like neon green with pink polka dots. That's super, super trendy for five seconds. And then it's not. Right. Which is the issue because we've seen it everyone and Instagram it's you see like you said those seasons of trends just coming through coming and going like even me like you're saying we're not innocent I was like okay I don't wear necklaces I don't wear necklaces I'm not buying a necklace and all of a sudden the whole layered necklace dainty necklace thing blew up and I was like I need 10 necklaces to layer and bought all of them <laughs> and I don't wear them and I'm like what am I doing I'm just like immediately buying into the trends that I see on Instagram and I know I don't wear necklaces because I always have issues with skin rashes so why do I think I need 10 necklaces it's insane it's exactly what you think because 
these, the, the brands and the marketers, they are billion dollar corporations and they hire the smartest, most clever and cunning people to do their marketing. So it literally makes you feel emotionally, physically, mentally that you need these things. It's trickery at its finest. It is a problem that's going on nowadays. And then we have the additional pressure of influencers. So we have these big brands paying influencers paying people to wear the clothes. They're paying them. They're gifting them the clothes. The, the people wearing the clothes probably don't even really care that much, but they're like, oh my God, I can't live without this shirt. So you're hearing it on the TV. You're seeing it on Instagram. You're seeing it on the streets and you feel like, oh my God, I have to live like this too. Like I have to get that shirt or I have to get those necklaces or I am a nobody. Like I'll be missing out. I won't be as cool as these people. I won't look as pretty. And that's exactly what they want you to think because that's what drives the economy nowadays, right? <laughs> but it doesn't have right. to it we can we can we can reuse clothes and we can reuse fashions and we can create like micro economies by trading um whether it's monetarily or not but like trading our items amongst each other and then we're still i mean we're still producing an economy but we're also saving the environment and i think saving our sanity <laughs> i can definitely attest to the whole influencer thing so i actually worked in influencer marketing for six years and this is something I want to lift the veil on because I know that people know that influencers get paid or gifted, but I don't think they realize how much they get paid. So I'll shed some light on this. A low price, like a very, very low, like you're being cheap price to pay someone is $500. To the average person, $500 is a lot of freaking money. $500 is what we were paying like a mommy blogger to write a recipe post of mac and cheese that has... 5,000 followers. So I think people need to start realizing, wow, if they're paying that type of person $500, what are they paying? You know, these mega influencers that are verified that have a hundred thousand, I can tell you minimum like $2,000. So to your point, these people are getting paid 2000 plus dollars, if not more to just take a picture. There's a brief, it shows you, okay, you need to be calling out the brand. You need to do a hashtag, make sure that it's um, linking to our website, make it in your quote unquote voice, and then we'll pay you out. So I do think there's a time and place for influencers, but I do want to be clear that, yeah, when you, what you're talking about, when you see someone wearing the dainty necklace by XYZ brand, XYZ brand probably shelled out five to $10,000 to work with someone that has a hundred thousand followers. So we need to really be cognizant of, okay, do I like it because she's wearing it or do I genuinely like it and would find value in wearing this? Yeah. I love that transparency. And I love the insider little information that you just gave everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insane because my friend was saying how her friend wanted to start an app where they would try to have like Bravo stars do quick shout outs for like $40. And I was like, $40 would you would get me for $40. Like, I don't know what you're <laughs> thinking. Like influencers are expensive. So I want people to know like these people aren't getting just like free shirt. Yeah, they're getting free stuff, but they're getting paid. So we need to be cognizant of that. What's interesting in Australia, and I don't know if this is the same where you're living, is we don't really have Amazon or Amazon Prime, which for me, when I first moved here, I was like, how am I going to live here? How am I going to get things on demand? I need to move back home. And it's really refreshing that I'm like, okay, it makes you think if I want to order this, it's going to take a while to actually get to my place. Will I like it by the time it gets to my place? Or is this something that I need to think about? So with Amazon Prime, fast fashion, all these things, 
um, it's really make it's made me take a step back and take inventory of what I need in my life. What are you finding in your new city um, in terms of like consumerism and minimalism? Do you see different shifts over there? Yeah, I mean, I see I see two different sides because so they have Amazon in Mexico, but it's not as robust as the one in the States, right? And even Canada's is not as good as the States, but the Mexican Amazon is like, meh, there's not a ton on there. And it's it's pretty overpriced because you have to pay big import taxes to get stuff into Mexico. And shipping to Mexico is really, really hard. Like I used to live here 16 years ago <laughs> and to get something shipped back then was like impossible. It would just sit at customs for eight months. You'd probably never never see it. So why bother? And so in that respect, I see people just don't shop online here. And the the good thing I see in Mexico is that there is the rise of the mom and pop. Like it's always been like that here, but right now everyone has like their own stores. Like you still see the cobbler and the jewelry repair guy and he's beside the dry cleaner which is beside like the 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 wood whittler dude <laughs> and then someone who sells newspapers and someone's out on the street cleaning cars um as they park to go shopping at these stores and people are walking around selling flowers like i love that it's very much independent business here i it just makes my heart so happy to see that people can, you can be an entrepreneur here very easily which is great. Um, but the bad thing that I see here is that credit is very new in Mexico. Again, when I lived here 16 years ago, no one had a credit card. It wasn't really a thing here. Now everyone has credit and all these bigger brand stores are offering tons of credit, but it's credit like that they could never pay off. It's credit at 30 and 40%. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh wow. my gosh, it makes me so sad because people are actually, there are check this out. There are businesses of people selling their credit. So for example, like let's just say I got a credit card and I'm not going to use it, but I say, Hey, Chelsea, you can't get a credit card yet because you know, you don't have any credit or you don't have a job or whatever. I'll let you use my credit, but I'm going to charge you an additional 10% of whatever the bank's charging me. And, and you say you need a new shirt. You say, yeah, Oh my God, that's great. So you use my credit. And so you end up paying like so much percent of 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 um wow. of, like, of interest so people are making a business of selling their credit to people who can't get credit <laughs> i mean it's going to create wow. this monster of, of people drowning in credit down here it hasn't happened yet but i can see it coming unless they also start to make a shift towards minimalism which right now in mexico is not a thing like they just came from minimalism oh for a like a hundred years. They're like not right. interested. <laughs> right. They're like, let's add everything to cart and check out. And that makes sense. Cause America's been on that trend for literally decades, like you said. So I can understand why they're trying yeah. to do the opposite. That's insane. What do you think has been the hardest part about transitioning to this lifestyle? Hmm. The hardest part. Um, I mean, I think it was really just getting over the mindset that I needed things or that I needed things in order to be somebody or in order to be beautiful or in order to be liked. And I think that even though I'm a very confident person and I'm sure of myself, I think those doubts still crept in a lot when I was doing a lot of my the cleansing and just getting rid of everything. So I think the hardest part was just reassuring myself that I am okay without the brands, that I am enough without the materialistic items. Now I know I am, but learning that, I think it was a process. And what about the sentimental stuff? Did you run into anything that you're like, oh, 
oh my gosh, this is, this is one thing that I know I don't use it, but I have to keep it because of the sentiment. I'm not really that sentimental. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds terrible. I mean, we have, okay. So my husband and I, cause we did this together. And so we kept a few boxes of things, you know, like those file boxes, those cardboard boxes with handles. We have right. one that we've got like old tax papers in and things that you need to keep for a few years. And the other one, we do have a few photos because I mean, I guess people still have physical photos. We had a few of those and just like maybe some cards or some letters that we really wanted to keep, but we just limited it to one box. Um, other than that, like I, my parents are not sentimental people. They are serial entrepreneurs, kind of hippies. We moved every two years growing up. So they don't have like my baby clothes or even like pictures of me from back in the day. They were always just like, meh, whatever. Like it's not important. We don't need it. Let's just move and do something else. Let's be crazy and hit the road. And so I kind of grew up with that mindset anyway. So I'm not really as sentimental, but when I was in my twenties, I totally rebelled against that. I was like, no, I'm going to get stuff because you guys never wanted stuff. So I'm going to get it all. And I, I mm -hmm. realized like, wait, no, that's not, <laughs> that's never been me. So it's almost like this journey to minimalism is returning to my ancestral roots, if you will. I love that. And what about your husband? I think that's so interesting that you guys did this together. Like did you bring it up to him one day? Were you guys kind of talking about it already? And you're like, okay, we're sitting down this weekend and going through everything. Tell us about that process of working with a partner on this lifestyle. Yeah, it was actually, this is such a crazy, weird story, um, especially since what you've gone through personally as well. But so my husband has a very interesting background. Um, at one point he was a homeless alcoholic. I mean, he was at rock bottom. He had been an alcoholic for so many years and so many people had just had to, you know, put those, like draw the line in the sand and say like, I can't keep taking care of you if you're going to kill yourself like this. Um, so he ended up choosing to be homeless in order to be able to drink. And so here's a guy who has nothing. He doesn't even have a home. He has one change of clothes. He has to worry about people stealing his shoes while he passes out on park benches, like that kind of a lifestyle. And so He's been 10 years sober now, but when I met him, he was only about four or five years sober and he was exactly the opposite of minimalism. He was trying to accumulate things because he had gone for so long with nothing. He had come from the street be being homeless. So he was like, no, I need to have the flashy clothes. I need the rings and the watches and the, the jewelry. And I, I, I want to like peacock now because I felt so less than before. So I think this will make me feel like I'm whole finally. And you know, again, he kind of went through the same journey as me where he's like, oh, this isn't really making me happy. Like being with you is making me happy and traveling is making me happy. But gosh, this accumulating all this stuff and all these bills that come with it, like that's just, it's making me stressed out. And one day he, in the middle of the day, uh, he said, I think we should watch this documentary, which is so odd for us because we're both workaholics. We've never watched TV ever during the day since we've known each other ever. And we still have not to this day. And so on some random Monday or Tuesday, we took the, like the afternoon off and we turned on the documentary, the, the minimalism one that had just come out on Netflix. And we both looked at each other and we're like, bingo. <laughs> like This is exactly mm -hmm. what we have to do. And it was funny because nothing had ever really moved him that much. Like he was literally like skyrocketing in the other direction. And I had already kind of started a little bit of a minimalism journey. But as soon as we saw that, we were like, okay, yeah, that's it. Like we're done. We're selling our house. Um, I'm going to sell my car because I had a car and he had a vehicle. Like, why do we need to like, whatever, like we're going to sell everything. And 
I think it was literally, I don't know, two weeks after watching that documentary that we put everything into full force. And then within a few months, we had sold the house, sold the car, sold 90% of our things. Wow. So you guys took immediate action. Yeah. Like didn't even wait around. No. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and when did the RV come up? Because I think that's an interesting part of the documentary was if you guys should definitely watch it. It will totally change your mind about all the, you know, shit we have in, you know, sorry for my French, but that's what it is. Um, the tiny homes and RVs. And so tell us about how you decided to live in an RV. Yeah. So we sold the condo. And one of the reasons why was we were living in a condo and I was living in a house before, but one of the reasons we sold the condo was because we were traveling the world all the time. And it was a real bummer to have to keep paying a mortgage and paying condo association fees and bills and stuff for our condo back home. We were never there, right? It's like sucks to send home money for space you're not using. And so we thought like, wow, we're going to keep traveling for a long time. So, I mean, we don't just want to keep sending this money home for empty space. It's just, and it, you worry about it. It's always in the back of your mind. So we sold it and then we thought, okay, we love summer in Canada because it's so beautiful for anyone listening that hasn't been to Canada, especially out West in the summer. It's just gorgeous. I mean, there's nothing better. <laughs> the air is so clean. It's so warm. The mountains and the lakes, like it is pristine. So we're like, we knew that we enjoyed that. So we found a piece of land that we could purchase outright and we put a trailer, like a, like an RV, like we put an RV on it because an RV is, it's so easy. You don't need to worry about it. It takes care of itself. You just lock it up for the winter and off you go. And then when we're on this land, I mean, we live very, uh, like we don't have any bills. <laughs> so the RV and the land is paid for. We get our water from the lake. We grow tons of food. We have cherry, apple, pear, um, blueberries, strawberries, vegetable gardens. We have tons of stuff out there. Um, the only thing we need is like a little bit of propane for heat. So our bills are under a couple hundred bucks a month. It's so, so easy. And we love that tiny home living. It's under 300 square feet. I think it's like 250 square feet. And it's, um, it's just simple and it's easy to clean. It's easy to take care of. It's seriously the most chill lifestyle ever. That sounds amazing. I mean, the, the ability to just pack up and go and not worry about anything and the bills and all that stuff, like you said, I think what really resonated me with me, what you said earlier is when you buy a big home, you have to fill it with stuff. So it makes sense that if you buy a smaller home, you don't have to worry about, oh, I need to get this random coffee table that I'm not even going to use. I mean, the whole thing of like decorative pillows makes me laugh because it's like, no, 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 don't touch them. Don't sit on those. Those are decorative. It's like, what? Why are we buying? And they're expensive, like decorative pillows. And it's so funny that we like think that's normal now. I'm wondering, it sounds like you're, this probably strengthened your relationship with your husband, right? It did. Oh my gosh. Yes. So a lot of people think, oh, I can't, I couldn't work with my husband, let alone live with him in a tiny house. Well, let me tell you, we work together. My husband and I have the same job. We're both travel bloggers. We work side by side. We literally sit beside each other all day long. And then we hang out after work together. And when we're at home in Canada, in the, in the RV, we're in under 250 square feet together. We are constantly side by side. We have been for the last five years and we absolutely 
love it. I know some people would kill their spouse, but my husband and I <laughs> were like Siamese twins and we couldn't be happier about it. We honestly don't fight because we don't have anything to fight about. <laughs> like we don't fight about right. money. We don't fight about space. We don't fight about cleaning. Do you know how easy it is to keep an RV clean? It basically just cleans itself. It's so simple. And we just, we just don't have all this other stuff weighing us down. Like even if you think that the stuff under your bed, in the closets, in the basement, in the garage, if you don't think it's affecting your psyche, I, I'm telling you it is. Because once we just got rid of it all, we're just like, hey, let's just have fun together. Like our life is just more fun than it is this chore or work or worrying, you know? Right. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like the biggest things couples fight about tend to be around money or cleaning. Like you didn't do this. You didn't take out the trash. Why is this living room a mess? It's like, oh, well, you guys can avoid that now. Yeah. <laughs> what about personal relationships? Because I think you alluded to this before of like, what am I without my brands and my bags? And I've noticed even moving to Australia that my conversations back in America were so focused around products and sales. Like I would be in a group chat and people would link to the blah, 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 big sale. And I'm, I'm like, wait a second. My, my conversations were a lot around consumerism. Did you notice a shift with like personal relationships outside of your husband that were either positive or negative? Yeah, I did. I think it strengthened the ones that were deeper than just having things in common when it came to clothes or fashion or things like that. And it completely destroyed more of the shallow surface level relationships that I had. So a lot of people that I was friends with when I was in real estate, when I was, I had a lot of money and I was, I would always throw parties and just have everyone over, right? Free booze, free food, big party, want to come? People are like, yeah. And I thought those people were my right. friends, but I realized that it was probably just because of the parties they threw or the, you know, like the gifts that I would give them or whatever it was. And then the people that, that really, I mean, they would send me messages saying like, wow, how can I do what you're doing? Or I'm so inspired. Can you give me some tips? And then they would start to apply the same level of minimalism or, or their own version of it in their life. My relationships with those people really, really strengthened. So I almost see it like a cleanse. It, it almost just sort of, it was like this automatic wash and it took out the people who were not my, like they were only my fair weather friends. It took out the people that did not have my best interest in heart and it kind of washed them away. And then the people who really were real and were there for me, it kind of, um, it kind of sprouted that relationship more and it, and it made it bloom even more than it was. So it was so nice to be able to see which ones of my friendships were, were totally legit. And what about in terms of inspiration? Did you actually see that people were like, wow, Cashly, like you've done that and now I want to do that. Did you have friends or family reach out and try to make that shift as well? Oh my God, so many. <laughs> so it, when I was doing it, when I was kind of in the thick of it, I was trying to talk about it a lot online and I was posting tons about it. And then I would literally get in a week probably oh my goodness, it was probably 20 or 30 direct messages a week or like combination of DMs and emails of people saying, okay, where do I find groups to sell stuff or, or how do I get my husband on board or how do I minimize my bills or whatever it was. 
Um, or how do I stop shopping? How do I stop using my credit card so much? Da, 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 da. It's on and on and on. And that's why I wrote the book, The High Maintenance Minimalist, because I was getting so many questions. I was like, okay, I'm just going to write a book that goes through everything I did from learning about minimalism to decluttering, to paying off debt, to being more financially free without getting a better job or anything like that, just from changing lifestyle, um, even into how to travel more and how to have a bit more freedom in life. And I just did it step by step by step by step, put it in a book. And then that way people can literally do it on their own time and in the way that they see minimalism working for them. And what is this book called if anyone actually wanted to take those steps? It's called The High Maintenance Minimalist. Oh, I love that because that makes me think of all my friends back home or, you know, just people that I know at work from my previous job. I can see them hearing this and being like, yeah, I would never live that lifestyle because I'm too high maintenance or I love my XYZ bags and brands, et cetera. And so I'm curious, like, what would you tell to those people that are like, yeah, I just can't live without my 10 bags. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? <laughs> First off, it's like, well, you can, <laughs> for sure you can. But I called it the high maintenance minimalist because I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still who I am. And who that girl is, is when I see a beautiful gown or sparkly dress, yeah. Do my knees go a little bit weak? For sure. I love that stuff. And do I still own a Burberry trench coat? Yes, I do. Because it's timeless. I'll wear that thing for the next 30 years of my life. It's like a beige trench coat or whatever. So it's not saying that you can't love a brand or you can't love a certain style of clothing. It's just that it's it's changing what you think about it. It's changing how much you buy things or or how much weight you put on those items. Like, are you putting them before people or relationships or for things that you ought to be doing instead? And 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 for example, I have a rule that if I do want to buy something, because sometimes I do, sometimes I would like to buy a new shirt. I, I have a rule that I have to throw out something that I have or I have to donate. It has to replace something I already own because if I love it so much to buy it, if I want it that badly, then I have to be able to give up something I have. So I'm not adding to my closet. It's just like a rotation. And so I can sell an old item or I can give an old item away, but I'm replacing it. So I can show people that are more high maintenance, hey, yeah, you can still go buy that YSL bag if that truly makes you happy. But the one you have in your closet that's sitting there that you haven't touched for five years and you thought was the best thing in the world five years ago, you got to do something with that. <laughs> you got to sell that or donate that. Right. Or maybe you don't need the new one. Maybe you're just going to bring that old one back to life and learn to love it again. Like This is the kind of minimalism I'm talking about. It's a little bit high maintenance still, so it works for anyone's life. Right. You said something very earlier in the interview, which really stuck out to me, which was minimalism sounds cold, empty, and like unapproachable to a lot of people. And I remember when I first looked into this and I was, you know, just Pinteresting, which is a verb now, um, minimalism and <laughs> Googling things. I was like, okay, I, I can't live minimalist. This looks like, like you said, cold and, and uh, like almost just unlivable because I have one cup and one mug. I want you to be very specific in what you have. Like, can you tell us you, not necessarily pieces of clothing, but like intentionally were you like, we're just going to have this three set of dishes. We're going to have one pan, one pot, like how extreme in terms of downsizing did you really go? 
Oh, I've never had this question before. I absolutely love it. I will get specific. <laughs> so at home in the RV, which we've been living in when we're not traveling, right? So I always use that as an example, but we do, we have one set of plates. So we have four plates and we have four bowls and we have four cups and four coffee mugs. There's just the two of us. We really don't need any more than that. That's even probably too much, but sometimes we have friends come over and we invite them in the RV for coffee or whatever. And we do, we have one big pot and one pan. And we it's you can just, and then take that same formula and just apply it to everywhere else in the house. And that's what we have. We have only what we need. We don't have these like weird backups. And we got rid of all the appliances that you don't use, like the big KitchenAid mixer that you literally, nobody ever uses those. I've never seen anyone no use one. a KitchenAid <laughs> mixer ever, but everyone has one <laughs> and I've never seen them in use. Um, but we, we have that sort of thing. Like there's so many items we don't have because we don't need. And if we do, guess what? I have friends. I can call up someone and say, Hey, I actually found an instance where I need a KitchenAid mixer. Can I borrow yours for half an hour? And they'll go, uh, yeah, that thing has been collecting dust for 10 years. Sure you can. And that's what we're supposed to be doing somewhere. We forgot that like our parents, especially our parents' parents, they lived in communities in their neighborhoods and not everyone had to have a lawnmower and everyone had to have X, Y, Z. They would just borrow it from each other and help each other and lend and share. And we lost that somehow. We're way too individualistic now. And we all think we have to own everything for every possibility. And it's like, no, you don't. If we all of a sudden need a weed whacker, then we'll go find a neighbor or we'll go talk to somebody and say, hey, can I borrow your weed whacker? And in return, I'll give you a box of chairs from my cherry tree that I just picked. Are you down with that? And they'll say, yeah, that's cool. So I think that we apply that um, in our lives. We try to teach other people to do it. And then when we travel, we do exactly the same thing. Now we're in a condo building in Mexico and I went, I knocked on the neighbor's door, introduced myself and said, if you ever need anything, please come knock at the door. And, you know, and I, hopefully if I ever need anything, I can, I can come and talk to you. And they were so happy to, I mean, in Mexico, they're a lot more tight here. People really have communities, but they were so happy to meet me and know that, you know, we're neighbors. Hey, we're friends now. That's so true. I didn't even think of back in the day, like not everyone owned a lawnmower. And that came from that whole phrase of like, you know, lend me sugar. I'm your neighbor. Like that outcast song. Like I'm just thinking about how much we used to rely on our neighbors because that was, you know, we didn't need to own everything. And this got me thinking of, I think the biggest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for blast of consumerism lately is wedding registries. I go to my friends, wedding registries. And I'm like, wait, 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 you don't even cook. Why are you asking for a wok bowl, a casserole dish, the KitchenAid <laughs> mixer, the 55, you know, set piece set of teaspoons and tablespoons. I'm like, are you now like a culinary expert? Like, why do you want all this stuff? And I think it's just because when your wedding comes around, it's like a free for all to just get as much stuff as you can. And it's just so interesting because I'm like, I don't know what I would do with all that stuff. Like when I get married, I don't want to have all that stuff. So did this ever come up in your own life where, you know, you have friends that you're, that are extremely consumeristic that you're just like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Or is it just, you keep it separate? Like you do you, they do them. Yeah, I totally have a you do you kind of outlook. I do not preach to anybody about minimalism unless they ask me for help, unless they ask me questions. Cause I do, I do have some friends in my life that are literally extremely consumer driven. Like I have a one friend in particular, like you would not believe how much 
this person shops. It's, it blows my mind, but I don't say anything unless they ask me because you know what? That's their journey. And if that truly does make them happy, which I think deep down inside it doesn't, but if it truly, truly does, then I mean, go for it. Like reach for the stars, follow your dreams because you're only on, you're only on this planet one time. You have one life. And so you got to live it the way that you want to live it. It sounds like a lot of positive has come out of this experience, but has there any, has there been anything really negative or that you just didn't expect to happen when you made this shift to this lifestyle? No, <laughs> there's nothing. I know. Like I, I, I've, I've thought about this so much. And even if I tried to dig deep and tried to think about something, I could maybe even turn slightly negative for the sake of bringing up something. I can't, there's been nothing negative that's come out of this. It has strengthened my relationships. It has made me happier. It saved me a ton of money. It allowed me to pay off old debt that I had lingering around. I have lots more disposable income now to spend on experiences or to save or to donate or whatever I want. Um, I don't have heavy luggage anymore at the airport. I can come and go as I please. Yeah. I can't think of one negative. Not one negative. That's, that's good news. So anyone thinking about it, it doesn't sound like there's a negative issue. Do you ever find that you have this feeling of like, okay, this is a phase and we're going to go quote unquote back to the way things were. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> no, we've, we know that we'll live like this forever. And it's not to say that we're going to travel forever and never have a home. It's just that if, and when we do get a home, I mean, I'm pretty adamant on not buying a home unless we can buy it with cash. I'm really not into into mortgages. I just I think that sometimes they can enslave people and keep them working past retirement. And like I know a lot of 70 and 80 year old people that they they're still trying to pay a mortgage. Like that's just really sad. But if I ever right. do if I ever do get back into the housing market, um, I, it's it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be small. It's probably going to be like a tiny home. Um, but I'm not going to fill it up with stuff. I'm not going to put any weight or any importance, or I'm not going to, um, determine who I am as a person by the things that are inside of it. I'm always going to live a minimalistic lifestyle because it, it really does feel good. And I, I like knowing I'm not wasting my money on things that don't care about me in return. <laughs> like if I buy a whole bunch of furniture, it doesn't love me back. But if I took that money and brought my family out on a trip or something. I mean, that's, that's what I'm going to think about on my deathbed. I'm not going to think about the thrill rug or anything like that. So I think I'll always live with that. Now that I've, now that I've done it for, for you, for a few years, I think it's a part of me. I just think it's a part of who I am now. I, I don't ever see myself going back to a materialistic lifestyle, especially as much of one that I was in. Um, when I lived uh, as a realtor, like literally, and I'm not proud of this, I'm not saying this to brag, but I had 100 pairs of shoes. And for, to me, when I think oh about gosh. that now, I think, I think what a disgusting waste. Like I had this shoe closet that I had to have and they were all on display and 90% of them I never even wore. And it was just, it was such a waste. I just, I think about it and go, wow, like I could have done so much more with that money and I don't ever want to fall in that trap again. Amen. I hear you, girl. I am like, I have two pairs of sandals, two pairs of tennis shoes. And even then I'm like, why do I have two pairs of tennis shoes? You technically only need one. And it just <laughs> makes you think like, what do I actually need? Like you just need the basics. Is there anything that's non-negotiable for you that you're like, no, I actually do have to live with this. And what I mean by that is when I moved to Australia in my apartment right now, I don't have a dryer. We don't have AC or heat. Um, I don't have a microwave. 
Uh, what else? There's a few other things that I can't think of off the top of my head that back home, like three years ago, I'd have been like, absolutely not. I'm not moving there. Like that's insane. Did that pop up for you at all with your husband where you're like, okay, these are actually the things that are non-negotiable that we do need to keep in our lives. So great. Uh, I think it depends on where you live. Like when we were in Vietnam, we didn't have a washer dryer or AC either. And it was so hot that it actually made us miserable and we got black mold poisoning and we had a lot of health issues, whatever. Oh God. So when we when we were moving to Mexico, we were like, okay, it has to have air conditioning because we got really bad black mold poisoning. So there's some things like for health reasons, um, but for like any non-negotiables, I don't know. I think the things that I have, so if we get really superficial here, the things that I have in regards of clothes or makeup or skincare, the, the very few things that I do own, like I love them and I couldn't imagine not having them because they're the the basis of what I have, right? Like I, I own very little things. So the things I have, I love. And I would call all of those non-negotiable because that's all I have. <laughs> but as for things like- right. As for things like microwaves or um, some creature comforts, I mean, they can come and go. I move around so much that I don't really care. My situation always changes so much. I don't really get attached to things like that, but they're always nice to have. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're a deal breaker. Right. Just no, I feel like anything you can shift to be like, okay, could this really be a deal breaker or not? Like if you would have told me even four months ago that I wouldn't have AC, I would have been like, well, that's too bad. I'm not moving there. And now that I'm in it, it's like, okay, I had to sacrifice something else to be here. And guess what? I just opened my windows and it's breezy. So now I have AC from nature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's nice. What about what's next for you with, you know, your travel blogging, you're on the go, you know, do you and your husband have any personal plans that you guys are really looking forward to, especially in regards to this lifestyle? Yes. So, I mean, it's not really... It's not really about the minimalistic lifestyle, but kind of like I was talking about before, we love Mazatlan so much. We had no idea we were going to love a place so much. Um, and I think we have a lot to, to compare it to because we've been all over the world for the last five years. And so we kind of want to make this a base, which is weird for us. We're, we're just always on the go. So we kind of want to make Mazatlan our base and then vacation, if you will, or travel to Canada and then keep traveling from here. I mean, I'm a travel blogger. I need to travel the world all the time to be able to write, but just kind of having this as a base. So it's going to be interesting what that looks like, because like I said, we're going to keep up with the, with the minimalistic lifestyle. So whatever we get here is just going to you know, have the basics and, and keep us humble. And it's not going to be anything that we have to fill with a million products or <laughs> anything like that. So we're just going to kind of continue life on the same journey, but just maybe slow it down a little bit in Mexico. I love that. I love that you guys actually found a permanent home for being such nomadic people. It's like a nice little way that's like travel blogging actually brought you somewhere that you're like, you know what? I do want to kind of plant roots here. Yeah. It was by accident. And I actually love it here so much. I, every day I say, Oh, I love it here. <laughs> like almost <laughs> like I'm mad. My husband's like, why do you sound so angry? I'm like, because I'm just so, Oh, I just love it. <laughs> it really is. It's the best place. I can't even tell you why. I'm actually going to write a blog. It's going to come out probably in a few months because I need time to actually experience more. But it's going to be called like 100 things I love about living in Mazatlan. And it's going to be my top 100 because I already have like 40 things on the list. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's just easy. 
Speaking yeah. of that, can you tell people where to find your blog and where to follow you? Because it sounds like you have a ton of resource resources and information to share with us. Yeah. So my blog kind of doubles as a travel blog. And then also I have lots of minimalist and sort of lifestyle based blogs on there as well. So the blog is called Travel Off Path. And we try to publish every day. My husband's the travel news writer. So on the news front of things, he tries to put out a travel news blog every day. And I'm blogging a few times a week. And mine are more about destinations, travel guides, places, and minimalist lifestyle, of course. So we kind of live on the blog. That's where we spend most of our time. And then I'm also on Instagram at Cashly underscore K. I don't post a ton on Instagram. Um, I'm more of like doing stories and things like that. But lately I've been posting a lot about Mazatlan because I'm obsessed and uh, I'm always posting about lifestyle over there as well. I love that. And I love your social media because you've really lifted the veil behind like the fakeness. And you, one of my favorite posts was one that you did where you showed, I think it was like a camera roll of pictures where you're just like, I don't know why I took these where I'm like, you know, tucking my hair behind my ear, looking at the ground or like taking a sip of coffee, looking away. And it just didn't align with what you were doing. And, and I really love that. You're like, I'm done trying to like fake this when I could just be experiencing it and sharing that experience instead. Thank you. Yeah, that was a big that was a big realization for me. I I know exactly the post you're talking about. And you know what? Some of those coffee cups, they don't even have coffee in them. <laughs> That's how fake they oh, are. My God. <laughs> but yeah. I just I was like, I can't do this anymore. And at one point I thought, like, yeah, I'm gonna keep up with all these other people on Instagram. And I was just spending hours and hours a day taking all these fake pictures, staged photos, and that's just a glimpse of the thousands of staged and fake photos I have um, on my phone from years of travel and years of working with brands and things like that. And I was like, okay, enough is enough. If I'm in a cool location, like if I'm walking down the street in Mazatlan and it's a cute street, my husband's like, Hey, I'm going to snap a picture of you. And I'm like, okay, if that happens, great. I'll post it. But gone are the days when I'm going to change my outfit, put in props, have coffee mugs with no coffee in them and pretend like I'm doing something to look cool. Um, that's not real. <laughs> no one will be right. able to duplicate duplicate my experience. And that's not why I'm travel blogging. I'm travel blogging to, to help people have the same experience. So why would I sell them like a fake, a fake world? That's, uh, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you so much for posting that. And you guys make sure you follow Cashly. As you can see, she has a ton of information. If you want to shift to the minimalist lifestyle, I do actually suggest you reach out to her and read her book because it is so amazing that you made a resource for everyone to actually follow, but that you're constantly keeping us updated in real time too. It wasn't just a one and done thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, Cashly, and good luck with your Mazatlan journey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I can definitely learn a thing or two from Cashly. I do actually believe we all can. I thought I downsized so much after Chicago when I moved to Florida because I seriously sold what I thought was everything. You guys heard me. I was selling shower caddies, exercise equipment, smoothie makers, like everything. And even when I moved to Australia, I had to do that whole exercise again. And I got rid of nine boxes of clothing, nine huge boxes of clothing. So when I moved here, I thought I was killing it with downsizing. And now that I'm here, I'm noticing even more how much shit I have. Like I'm staring at necklaces right now on a wall that I don't think I've worn one of these in probably a year and a half. Yep. 
I couldn't tell you the last time I wore half of these. So yeah, these are instantly things that I could give away, make someone happier, donate, make money off of it, whatever, but they serve no purpose just hanging on my wall and sitting there. So again, going back to my point in the podcast, I should probably stop buying necklaces because I never wear them anyway, and I need to stop giving into those trends. So I think you guys should all do a quick inventory of something that you at least haven't worn in six months. I think that's a good exercise because six months is a good time that you've probably seen different weather. You've probably been to an event or two that you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? I didn't end up wearing that dress or those shoes or whatever it may be. Look at your purses too. I know I had a big issue with all these purses that I was like, oh, if I go on vacation, I'll wear this one. If I go on a tropical vacation, I'll wear this. But if I go to a cold place, I'll wear this. And it's like, no, you really just need probably two or three that you can swap out that makes sense for their size and weather, etc. So yeah, I think that's a good exercise. Take a moment this week, in the next few weeks maybe, and see what do I actually need in my closet, in my kitchen, in my bathroom, what's on my walls, what's under the sink, what's in that one drawer that I haven't opened in two years. Like we all have those drawers that you just open and you're like, what the hell is in here? So I suggest that you guys do that this week. If you found any value from this podcast, which I'm sure you did at least one tip, please share it on your Instagram story and tag me in Cashly. You can also rate, review, and subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It takes about five seconds and it really helps me book more guests like Cashly. And of course, if you think about it, this is free content. I don't charge anything. I don't monetize this. So consider that your form of payment. You pay for everything else in life. So all I'm asking you is just share this on social media or in some platform. Tell a friend, tag a friend, whatever it may be. As long as you're sharing it and just helping me get the word out to get more guests like Cashly on, I would greatly appreciate it. Make sure you follow Cashly and her blog. She's posting constant tips. She has great information on her Instagram stories. You can follow me at Chelsea Rife. That's R-I-F-F-E. You can write into the podcast, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. And you can visit my new website, inmynonexpertopinion.com, where the podcast is actually up there. You can read a little bit about why I started the podcast and find some more information around there. And lastly, I wanted to call out the documentary we both saw. It's Minimalism on Netflix. It's extremely eye-opening. That is when I actually first started realizing like, okay, the stuff I have... It's not just stuff and it's clutter and, oh, I'll get to it later. It actually talks about like the social issues, the political issues, the just the environment when we have so much stuff. And it just really makes you think about the space you're using and how you're using it. So I definitely wanted to give those guys a shout out. They actually have a podcast as well called the Minimalism Podcast. It might be Minimalist Podcast, but it's by two guys, Josh and Ryan, and they are amazing. They constantly are trying to better um, everyone's lives, which is minimalism and decluttering and downsizing, and they make it approachable. It doesn't have to be so extreme. Of course, documentaries can be extreme, but I think it's good that you guys watch it just to at least get an idea or two of how you can minimalize your life. With that, I'll see you guys next Thursday. 